Hello and welcome to the Bible with Me podcast from Precept UK. We are a Christian charity based in Salisbury that equips people to know God deeply so they can live differently, using a wide range of Bible study resources for all ages and levels of understanding. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the ministry, and we would love to encourage you to seek the truth of God's Word for yourself using one of our inductive study books, available at precept.org.uk. Now without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode of the Bible with Me podcast. Well, good morning, uh, everybody. I am absolutely delighted to uh, welcome uh, John Yanni to the programme today. Uh, John grew up in London in the 1950s and the 1960s. Uh, He left school at 15 and uh, quickly found himself in a life of crime. Over the next uh, number of years, John's crimes got worse and worse until he found himself charged uh, with six counts of armed robbery and was sentenced to jail by the Old Bailey. Uh, John currently lives in the Shetland Islands. Uh, He is a man who absolutely loves the Lord Jesus. He loves people, and he also loves the Word of God. John, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. Um, Now, John, you grew up in London in the 1950s and the 1960s, didn't you? Yes, that's correct. Um, what are your memories of growing up and uh, your your time at home, maybe, and at school? Well, I think the main thing is really my real love was football, like so many youngsters in London. Um, I School wasn't my kind of great love like a lot of people although although my mother was a very clever person and um and we would have been encouraged um to read books and things like that we i remember we never had no telly in our house and uh, i can remember the first little transistor radio that we once got and People was probably arguing who could have it that night or something to listen to it. And I can remember that I saw the 1966 World Cup at my friend um, Ronnie Warboy's house. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful. And, um, and what were you like at school? Were you top of the class? Did you love academics? Uh... No, I wasn't... Um, I'm going to be honest and say this. Even to this day, I can't say my alphabet. Really? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm sitting here with you and I see a host of books <laughs> behind you. We'll, we'll talk about that more later, but um, you are surrounded by the most incredible books by some pretty, pretty wonderful authors here. So um, something will have changed over time, which we'll come on to. Now, you left school at 15, didn't you? Yes, yes. Uh, you say you you love football, Arsenal supporter. Yes, correct. Um, how did you get involved in in things that perhaps were not helpful to you? <laughs> how did that happen? I, as I grew up, I, I my mother... Um, was married, um, but her marriage broke down, and and I've never been um, 
told why the marriage broke down and I know very little, if anything, about my father other than his name is on my birth certificate. My mother met my stepfather who who had a boy and a girl and they got together and it was another four children born. But I always felt the odd one out, but I must stress that was probably what was going on in my head rather than um, that I was the odd one out. Yeah, yeah, so, okay, so you, you, your, your parents, you say, split up, you felt an odd one out. Um, how did that lead to getting involved in, in crime, would you say? Well, I, I'm sure like most people, they start to, um, who do get involved in crime, probably pinching apples and things like that. And, it, and it's just like sin, it gets worse and worse. But I guess also I was, as we're growing up, we need role models. And I obviously looked for role models in the wrong way. Um, and, and as it's been said, I followed the Arsenal, I went to football matches. And in the late 60s, there was an awful lot of football hooliganism. And to my shame, I got very much involved in that. Um, I travelled all over England following the Arsenal and at one stage actually um, was removed from the crowd at the old Arsenal Stadium and barred from from going into the ground. Yeah. Really, really. Mm. Um, and your this life that you found yourself involved with sort of went from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Give us a sort of taste of of how that developed over time? Well, I, I think growing up, it, I guess you're looking for a reputation or something and going to the football matches and things like that and you're meeting people. And um, I remember that I was arrested at one time with some other people for stealing a car um, and um, I would have gone, uh, I think, if memory serves me well, I spent a couple of weeks on remand or, or, or something like that. Um, I later on got arrested for having what would be called a cutthroat, what had been stolen from a barber's shop. Um, in... I then was arrested on a New Year's Eve in, in Holloway Road for um, a fight. Um, we was drunk and, and um, I don't know how the fight started, um, but I was the only one who got arrested and um, I was sent to Ballstall for that. And I went to Dover Ballstall and, and I guess when you're there, you're hearing of people who have been arrested for this and that. And it's a case of, um, comes back to the role model. 
situation again, you know, and building a rest. Why are we here in life? You know, why are we here in life? And if we're not guided correctly, then we're going to be guided wrongly. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and one thing led to another, didn't it? And, and, and so I think, you know, yesterday when we were talking, one, you, you had this sort of, in a sense, a life of robbery, stealing, but then, then guns sort of um, came into it, didn't it? And, and um, you used, um, well, you became, in your own words to me, you became an armed robber. So there's a, there's a difference between, I guess, breaking in and stealing things and then doing it with a gun. Yes, I, I got, I think it was in 1970, I um, got sentenced at the Old Bailey to two years robbery. I was I was 20 years of age then, and um, I was sent to um, a top security prisoner on the Isle of Wight, Albany. Um, and that was for um, what we used to call a snatch outside Barclays Bank. That was when people were taking money to the bank that we would jump on them and, and steal the money. Um, so when I went to Albany, I mean, there was a lot of um, well-known criminals there, train robbers at one stage. I my, The next cell to mine was one of the great train robbers. And I was young and impressionable, um, and there was prison disturbance, and I lost all my remission um, then. And in part of that sentence, I was sent over to be probably um, evaluated by the prison authorities to another prison called Parkhurst Prison, and I'm putting a very special wing. There wasn't many people in there, but there were such people as... Um, very well-known criminals, um, Ron and Reggie Cray, and someone who I was very friendly with, uh, a gentleman called Mickey Peterson, who's probably more well-known as Charles Bronson now. And, um, and so all, all these kind of things are not helpful, mm. you know. Um, although I must stress I am responsible for my own failures in life oh, oh now now one day you found yourself didn't you taking part in an armed robbery and uh, you were actually about to shoot someone yes we're we, we, we jumping ahead a little bit i came out of that two-year sentence mm. and was then sentenced to 12 months for breaking into um, a men's clothes shop in holloway road again and um i came out of that and then I ended up getting sentenced for um, five and four years for breaking into what was called Smith Klein and French, which was a big pharmaceutical place um, where they had um, drugs, and we particularly um, targeted the um, speed because that was very easy to sell in nightclubs and on the street and that in London. So I then came out of that sentence and um, I, it wasn't very long at all before I was um, back into my criminal ways and I did break in a house and 
there was a shotgun there and I took that and exchanged it for another one, an over and under 12 bore, which was sawn off and um, and then that just led to, um, I'm afraid, in around about six months, um, 36 arm robberies. And as you correctly said, on one of those robberies, um, I did try to shoot a security guard at a place called Brunswick in near King's Cross, um, where the security guard was coming across, as we would say, the pavement with the money. But what happened, my colleague in crime, he had um, a sawn-off single barrel 410, and I had uh, an over-and-under 12-bore. And I said to him, you give me your gun and I'll start it. Um, and um, when the guard wouldn't give us the money, I tried to shoot him, but I didn't realise that I had to pull back the hammer on the gun, which I praise God for, because um, things could have got a lot worse, not only for that gentleman, but for myself. Um, we didn't get the money on that on that occasion, and, and when we was escaping in the car, I was so frustrated. I said to them, "We've got to go and do something straight away," and we did. We went and robbed um, a building society, I think, in Finchley. And um, but on on another occasion, I, I was arrested. Um, in these 36 armed robberies, nine of them were robbing post offices. And on one occasion, I fired a sawn-off shotgun in the post office and blew the screens out after I'd coshed the, um, the uh, post office gentleman manager. Um, on another occasion, on a, um, where we where we went into a big firm after the security van had left the money. I took a hostage to get in because they had security um, precautions to not let anyone into the building. And, and to get into the building, I, I took um, with my colleague, um, uh, a gentleman who worked for the firm, and probably, I can't remember my exact words, but we would have said to the gentleman inside the door, let us in, or something like we're going to shoot him, or something like that, mm. right, yeah. Mm. Goodness me. Now, you you ended up um, you ended up being tried at the Old Bailey, um, yes. didn't you? And, and what sentence did the judge pass on all these counts, and, and why was his sentence so unusual? Well, I, I, I'd been on the run for, for, for quite a few months. They had been doing specials. Uh, a man called Shaw Taylor, who used to do um, Police 5 or something, I think it was on ITV, um, although they didn't actually name me, that they, they knew who they was looking for because... People had been caught on other robberies and, and put my name into the frame. 
and they'd gone and they'd raided certain places looking for me. Um, so when when it, when they caught me, that they it was by a pure fluke. They'd been following a gang who I was part of, but left because I didn't feel we was getting enough money, and. Um, they they couldn't believe the the police couldn't believe their luck when they actually um, found out who I was. Um, but so when I did go to the um, old Bailey, um, prior to that, in the police cells, this, I mean that this was the robbery squad under a man called Inspector Chief Inspector Tony Lundy. And he's written a book, a biography, and he was used to um, capture many, many famous criminals and that. And uh, he actually mentions me in in his book. He, he says that Giuliani looked like a, a little schoolboy, but was a compulsive arm rubber. But while I was in the prison cell, um, in the police station, they hide you away and don't let nobody see you to try and break you down. A couple of my uh, colleagues in crime, they did a deal with the police and went super grass and, and probably named all the people that they'd done things with. Um, after three days, the police told me... Um, something that I was really surprised that they actually knew. Although I knew, they knew an awful lot about me. Um, and I, I, I said, well, okay, I'll admit my own fences only. And but they would have a history of who would um, try and do a deal. Um, it would be all in their records. And their... Their records would have shown that I just didn't go that way. I mean, I didn't have a lot probably going for me in life, but I did have maybe... Um, I never wanted to be known as someone who would tell tales on his friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the judge sentenced you, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, when, so. when, when I appeared at the Old Bailey, I, I was... Um, once I was arrested, I was put straight on top security, category A and that... And when I when I went to the old Bailey, um, I was the first one really to go up before many other famous armed robbers did, and the police the police didn't um, they dealt with my case in a more factual way. Um, I'm sure the police and the judge know what's going on behind the scenes with the prosecution, obviously. And um, the judge was very, very lenient to the extent that even my barrister, my QC, I think it was Stephen Solly, I think, said to me that um, never say, or my bar my solicitor, James Saunders, never say, John, that you've not been given a chance. I I appeared at the Old Bailey for six armed robberies and, and firearm offences and that, and was allowed to have another 30 robberies taken into consideration, and I think a couple of conspiracies as well. Um, and you 
usually what, what happens, if the police have really got it in for you, they will really say to the judge, well, this person um, fired a sawn-off shotgun in the post office, uh, people could have been in danger, this person um, did this and that. But they didn't, it was very factual, they just presented what I had um, confessed to, and um, my solicitor, well, my barrister rather, would have um, spoke up. I think that um, uh, would have probably um, used mitigation circumstances that I'd met um, my youngest boy's mother um, and she'd borne me a son, born on my birthday, which was a miracle. I actually have two sons. Um, who I love very much, and um, although I've let them down with my lifestyle, they're both very kind, and and even though they're a lot older now, they they still say I love you, Dad. You oh. know, and um, and my youngest boy once said to me, I think it's one of the sweetest things I ever heard. He said to me, Dad, this was many years ago when he was young. He said, Dad, I find it hard to believe what people said you used to do. Mm. And I can only give the glory to the Lord Jesus. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen. So so the judge sentenced you, didn't he? You got um he, he looked at those six armed robberies and I think what you said to me was that he gave you a sentence of eight years. Um, yes, he gave he gave me six eight year sentences to run concurrently. Yeah. And the rest of all the other thirty or 30 armed robberies, whatever, were taken into consideration and I wouldn't be um, charged with them. Yeah, so that was pretty unusual to get eight it years. Was, with... It was an absolute miracle. And, and people, people um, knew I hadn't told tales on people. People knew that because it would have leaked out. And people were saying that that was the result of the old Bailey that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you, so you end up in prison, um, and one day somebody gives you a Gideon's New Testament. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why did they give it to you, and what happened when you received this New Testament? Yes, yeah, so I, I once I got sentenced, I'd left the top security um, wings in Brixton Prison, and. Um, I went to Wandsworth Prison and um, we was allowed to, I was in a single cell. Um, I was still on category A for a while. Um, and I heard a program, we was allowed transistor radios in a cell. And I heard a program on the radio. And um, the next morning while I came out of my cell at what they call slop out, when you was allowed to slop out, um, things like that. I said something to somebody about um, the program I'd heard, and this gentleman, who was an armed robber, he, I, he, I didn't know him. He, as far as I know, he wasn't a well-known armed robber, but he was, um, a he was a convicted armed robber. He robbed the post office and got twelve years, I think, and. Um, and the people he'd robbed had come and visited him and gave him a Gideon's New Testament. And he, I don't think I was speaking to him directly, 
But he came and gave this New Testament to me. And I went into my prison cell and, and I read it. And um, all I can remember is that the God in his gracious love and mercy showed me that the Lord Jesus was true. <laughs> so so reading, reading God's word, mm. you came to the realisation that this person, Jesus, was who he said he was. Absolutely. Really. And would you say that that was a, a changing point that was the start of a changing point in your life at that stage, would you say? Without any shadow of a doubt, it was the start of a journey. Um, as you can see, up there on the wall, I have an L plate, which would usually be on the bumper of a car. Yes. And I have it framed that even after 1980, I, that experience would have happened. We're now in 2021. I'm still a learner mm. in the school of Christ and in the school of God's love for the whosoever. Oh, that is that is amazing. That is amazing, John. Now, now um, you a little while later, you you got actually caught up in some liberal theology, didn't you? Which wasn't helpful. You found that quite tough. Yes, I I, I used to. Um... <laughs> After saying I don't know my my alphabet, which I don't know, I, I would have I would have had they sung it at school, I would have learnt it very easy that way. <laughs> but um, I used to read the Guardian newspaper, and um, and one day reading the Guardian newspaper, they had an advertisement for a book, and um, and I. I've, I either sent away for it or I asked my um, girlfriend to send away for it. I'm not quite sure. But it was a book, um, and I'm not going to go into the details, but it was a book that looked very Christian. But when I received the book and read it, it was a book that put doubt on the virgin birth and the miracles... And sadly, sadly, one of the experiences I've learned over many, many years is that people who have um, a gift of teaching or a gift of writing can be very persuasive, but be wrong. Yeah. And I read this book and um, it definitely affected me. Um, very much so, um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now, you came out of jail, and you then spent 16 years working uh, with the Shaftesbury Society. Um, uh, how did that happen, and what are your memories of working for them? Yeah. Nigel, if I could just pop back, just yeah. very briefly, um dealing with the, um, the liberal theology. I, I, this happened in Wandsworth Prison, which is an allocation prison. I was then allocated to a top security prison here called Long Larton. And I, somewhere along the line, I changed my newspaper to the Times. And um, 
it must have been approaching Easter because there was an article in there um, written by a gentleman called Clifford Longley and it was about the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Now I cut that article out and while I was in Longlarton prison, although I wasn't registered as um, uh, an Elam Pentecostal Christian, the governor allowed me to have fellowship with the Elam Pentecostal people that uh, a pastor came in. And I used to look at these people and I, I they just believed that the Bible was God's word. They had such a, like a childlike faith. And I can remember thinking somewhere along the line, I would love to have that faith. And then, as you said, I left prison and I, I came out and um, I... You know, everybody knew my life has changed. I mean, it just people just knew just by the way I spoke. But there was still sin, still sin within me, which there is to this day, until I shall meet Christ face to face and shall be changed just like unto his moral glory and where sin will have no more part in my life or experience. But I was trying to change my life. And as I say, people knew. But sadly, I got called back on heroin. I, I, I had a drug lifestyle. Um, and I could access heroin freely as well. Um, um, but I got to the stage where I, I, I just knew I just knew I needed help. And I can't remember exactly why, or but I, I dug that paper out of the, of the Times by Clifford Longley, and I read that article, and, and where there, the risen Lord Jesus, he talks to those two disciples who are so sad because the, the, they had thought that this one had come, was going to bring the kingdom in and things like that. It was so sad, but in his grace, he comes alongside them and he talks to them and he tells them about starting with Moses and the prophets, all the scriptures pertaining unto himself. And then he's going to go on and um, as it, as if he's going to go on and they, they bid him not, they say, come, it's evening time. And he goes in there and then as he gives thanks for the bread, breaks the bread, they see him, they know him. And, and, and when I read that, I just knew I had to find a Bible-believing church. And, and I went to look for an AOG church first but they were shut there was a good reason why I went to look for an AOG because I'd heard that they were very independent the AOGs rather than being part of in those days I think they was um, but they were shut and I went round to an Elam church and it was a Tuesday night and there was a prayer meeting going on there and I spoke to a pastor there he was the deputy pastor I spoke to him and I explained to him I was a Christian, but I'd been caught up in this and that. And um, would he please pray for me? And he said, we will pray for you. 
but um, promise me that you'll come back here on Sunday, although he wouldn't be there, he was going to be preaching at another church, um, and his name was Pastor Lindsay Mann, and um, there was a dear Nigerian brother, you know, Brother Delhi, and they prayed for me, and this would have been in 1985, and, um, and they prayed for me. I had temptation before that Sunday. I can remember it as clear as day. I was at Camden Town Tube Station. I'd rung a friend, said, can I come over? And that meant, can I come over and um, take some heroin with you? And he said, yes. But then it was as if the Lord sent an angel. I was reminded that I promised I would go to church on Sunday. And so I was delivered, and by God's sovereign grace, as far as I know, I have never touched an illegal drug, and I have no desire to. Mm. That's amazing. I'm going to I'm going to skip forward in your in your story, John. Yeah. Um, now you you worked for 16 years with Shasta Society. Yes. You then in 2001 you moved to the Shetlands, and working with social care, and in 2016. Um, I want to focus on this now. You underwent treatment for cancer, didn't you? Yes. And it wasn't a very happy diagnosis. No, I... Um, in God's mercy, I actually didn't know the diagnosis straight away. I was just told. Um, I actually was... Um, I went down to Aberdeen from Shetland and I came under the people there. But I went on my own. And they do advise people to have a second person usually with them um, so that questions can be asked. Um, but I was just told by a, a most wonderful consultant, Mr. Mahmood, that um, if I didn't have treatment, it was going to kill me. Um, later on, after because they... They looked after me so well. They had me down there every two months. Um, and then as time went on, it became maybe three months. Um, but because I was going down there an awful lot and other people on the island were not, I actually asked Mr. Mahmood one day, what was my diagnosis? And he told me it was um, advanced stage four cancer. It started in a bit of my tonsil tissue. I said I'd had my tonsils out when I was young, and it spread. And um, yes. And so through treatment, and I know that yes. a lot of people were praying, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of people were, were were praying for me. I I God is so gracious that. Um, in many ways, towards me, the actual house that you're interviewing me, when I came back from my treatment, some local Christians, um, when the council offered me this place, um, especially my dear sister, who, who was just recently, she's been studying with your wife, actually, and yourself, um, dear Val Anderson, mm. uh, Adamson, sorry, Val Adamson. She got different churches involved and... Church, they came in, they stripped this house, they decorated it, mm. they actually 
built bookshelves in another room <laughs> for me. Not this room. You haven't seen the other room yet. <laughs> uh, they personalised it so much oh. that I, when I, when I, my next statement, I genuinely mean this: the overwhelming love of Christians. Hmm. was so much that if someone had given me a million pounds, I would not have been faced one iota. Such was the love of different churches that I preached at, you know, that even, if memory serves me well, the elders at my own fellowship, I belong to a very loving little assembly, very loving. And when I came back from my trip, I used to live in the old Croft house. It was the last one that lived there. Um, they put me up in their house in Lowick, um, very kindly, um, and looked after me. Um, but even the elders at my own church had said to Val, anything John needs, Lesson, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and Val, Val didn't even have to go back to my own assembly. Such was the generosity. Mm. Mm. Of, can, yeah. Oh, I can see that there's a lot of emotion there coming. Um, I um, well, that's wonderful to hear, John. It really, really is. Um. I want to talk to you about the Word of God, the Bible, because I, I mean, I'm in a room here, I'm surrounded by Bibles and commentaries. Um, why is the Word of God, why is the Bible important to you, John? Well, as I often say when I have the privilege of speaking to people, we live in a world where there are many voices, many voices trying to get our attention. And as knowledge has, has increased, there's more voices. And we all need to have a friend. We all need to be able to, um, to have a path that we can trust is the right path. And having been deceived once through liberal theology it is not my desire to be deceived again and the only person I can really trust living today is the Lord Jesus Christ yes yes he was crucified but God raised him and he lives today and he, who was the most intelligent person, and then as I was reading this morning um, the Gospel of John, that's uh, every night I meet with a Christian lady, she's 93, 94 next month, and we're going through the Bible, a real prayer warrior, um, and we start John, we finish Luke chapter 24 last night, which is which is very providential after what I've said about Luke chapter 24 today. The Lord Jesus, he was 
the most cleverest person who ever walked on this earth. He was the most loving mm. person. And he said in his earthly ministry, he would use words like, have you not read? Is it not written? He was never ever embarrassed about the Bible. He was never embarrassed about Genesis, that in the beginning God created the male and female. He was never embarrassed uh, uh, about Sodom and Gomorrah or Noah's Ark. And as I say, we need to trust in someone. And with, as you said, with all these commentaries and books, people have little different ways of nuancing things. But when you come to the word of God, it is what it is. It's been God breathed out. Just like in the beginning, when God created Adam, he breathed into him a soul. And God has breathed the scriptures into those who God chose to write them, to record them, uh, and also to the people that were brought together many hundreds of years ago and directed to um, sort through different manuscripts, which we now have the privilege to call the Holy Bible. And if you're, if you're English, even someone like myself, who's not an educated person, can have it in so many different translations and compare from, from the authorised to the ESV, New American Standard, NIV, NLT, um, <laughs> the NET. Um, you know, we... we, we, we uh, and this is, in this day and age, when, when there are so many voices, we need an anchor. Mm. We need an anchor for our soul. I can look... My, both my sons and my grandson in the eye, and I can look this whole world in the eye and say, I honestly believe that this is God's holy revealed word. Mm -hmm. And let me underline revealed. The creator is behind the word of God. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fantastic. And I have to say, John, it was a, a real wonderful thing to have you at a training that we were doing just yesterday, day before yesterday, you were there and and, and, and I know that you, I could see your enthusiasm <laughs> as we were going through the book of Jude together um, and your love of the love of the Lord and your love of his word and, and it just shines through you, it's just fantastic. Um, what would you say to someone listening to this podcast, John, who may be caught up in things that... Um, are perhaps not helpful to them. Um, how would you encourage them to to get on to, to perhaps move in a different direction uh, like you have? Well, I'm not on the internet or anything like that. But what I would suggest that they would get in touch with you, and so that you would probably be able to direct them with your knowledge to a local Bible-believing church. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I would also say, uh, I want to take that a step forward, 
I would also say that if um, a brother or a sister are caught up with any secret sin that, that, that they're scared of or they're ashamed of, that they should pray that the Lord would bring someone along them. Mm. You know, because I, I, I know in my, my path that um, there were things that I was caught up and ashamed. And right out the blue, the Lord brought someone across my path. Mm. And we was in a car somewhere, way back. And this person out of the blue said to me, I'm struggling with so and such. And I said to him, oh, so am I. Mm. And we just made a covenant then that we would pray for one another. Mm, mm, mm. And over time, as far as I know, I don't struggle with that no more. Purely by God's grace. Mm. And I know I have to look to him for help every day. Mm. Every day. And and the other dear brother, as far as I know, doesn't struggle neither. Um, when I see that person now and again, we we need we need other Christians. One of the great things of being at that training, I would not usually have been there to be truthful. Um, um, but one of the great things is I was meeting with other dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and one of. I very much believe that Christ has only got one body. Passionately believe that one body. And it was wonderful to be there, to see um, what some of my friends, sisters I know, are often speaking to me about the blessings that they've had. So I can actually identify and also identify also with the way that they particularly um, look at the scripture and and study and break it down and that. And so that's that's just another lovely um, experience on my path, whereas I say I'm a learner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it was a joy to have you there. And, and, and you know, if you're listening to this podcast uh, today and... Uh, you have been uh, touched and moved by by John's story, his journey, and um, him meeting the Lord Jesus Christ and getting to know him through through reading and studying his word. Um, then, and you are moved by what he said to do that yourself. Then I then do get in touch with us at, at Precept uh, Precept.org.uk. Uh, we would love to introduce you to the word of God um, to help you in a very practical way uh, how to study it uh, read it and study it and live by it and uh, uh, and enjoy a life um, that is full and that um, you can be a blessing to others as I know having been here in the Shetlands with John John is a blessing to many people here and um, He's a very generous man. He's a very thoughtful man. And um, and you can hear from his testimony uh, what no doctor, medical doctor, could have done, but the Lord Jesus has done in his life. So, John, I want to thank you so much for the privilege of uh, hearing your story. And, um, and I know that you would wish all the glory to go to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what we do now. So thank you so much. Thank you. And... 
Can I just say that as you look around this room, you see all these very famous Rembrandt prodigal son. Yes, I had noticed that. And at my very best, if there ever is such a thing, I love to look at these to remind me that all I am is a prodigal son. But when you realise that, you also have to realise the running of the Father to embrace you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Thank you very much, Nigel.